0: My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flack. Episode 133, Ninjas. Hello, and welcome to episode 133 of You Don't Know Flack. Today is Sunday, April 28th, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. Today, we will be talking about Ninjas. And this is a very exciting show. I'm very excited to do this show. I've been um, looking forward to doing this show for a while. Um, so I've uh, put the whole show here on my trusty Commodore 64. You know, I mentioned uh, last week that I was on travel. I'm still on travel. I am in Greensboro, North Carolina. And, uh, last week I put the uh, whole show on my SX-64 on hundreds and hundreds of floppies. Um, but this week... I uh, decided to put it over onto my 1541 that I brought with me, which I really did, and then I have connected to my netbook using a Zoom Floppy, which is a uh, a USB adapter, more or less, to connect uh, 1541 drives to um, modern machines using USB. So with that, I will uh, begin loading the podcast, and we have a few things to talk about this week during loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. The first thing I should mention is that the sounds of birds and wildlife that you hear in the background are real. Those are not sound effects added in. I am in a park. I am next to a wildlife preserve of some sort here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Because of today's show, the topic of today's show, which is ninjas, I wanted to get inspired. You know, as a kid, I um, uh, did a lot of ninja ninja running around, which we're going to hear all about in this episode of podcast. And God dang it, here comes a power walker. Boy, this is going to be stupid. I have parked right next to... Should I make eye contact? i make eye contact. Uh, maybe that's a bad location. So anyway, the idea of this episode was uh, that I would get some inspiration by going out and um, finding an area a little bit out uh, in nature. But um, So this area I found is um, right next to a bunch of trees and forest area and wild birds, as you can hear. Um, but also it's raining uh, just a little bit. And I didn't want to, uh, get me or the, you don't know, flak equipment wet. And so I'm, um, sitting as close as I can to nature from the safety of my car, (laughs) which is kind of how I like enjoying, uh, nature anyway, uh, looking at it through a window. So anyway, uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, that's a couple things I can tell you. One is that, um, I got to hook up yesterday with my friend Mikey, um, Mikey is um, a uh, fellow retro computer enthusiast. Um, He showed me, uh, I know Mikey through some of the online forums that I'm on. And Mikey has a a pretty sweet collection of old consoles. He showed me um, his old, he's got an Atari 2600. He has a Sega Saturn hooked up in his living room. Uh, A Turbo Duo, which I have not seen in a long time. The reason that uh, Mike and my paths originally crossed is because we have a common friend and all three of us were interested in interactive fiction or text adventures. And Mikey has written several um, modern text adventures. He does a lot of programming during the day at his job. And um, so it's just kind of a natural natural thing uh, to move into interactive fiction. So that's originally how we met. About a month ago, I sold uh, Mikey, one of my spare Commodore 64s. And I didn't have a spare disc drive at the time, but he bought a 1541 disc drive off of eBay, but he didn't have any software. So I knew I was coming out to Greensboro. I knew Mikey lived in Greensboro and I brought with me a 1541 disc drive and my zoom floppy and a tiny USB stick. I mean, I have a USB stick. That's like the size of my thumbnail that holds 32 gig. It has The complete Game Base 64 collection on it, it has um, every disc, you know, images of every disc I've ever owned. It has several different Commodore collections. And so uh, we set up shop in his living room yesterday, and we copied several old—it was like an old-school copy fest. You know, if you listen to the uh, episode, the You Don't Know Flack episode about copy fest, it was exactly like that. It was two people who had never had met online, but who had never met in real life before— setting down and, and, um, copying Commodore 64 games. And it was really fun. We had a good time talking. The bad news is that we got so carried away in copying Commodore games and trying games out and stuff that we did not get around to recording the skateboarding episode that we had planned on doing. So we're going to set that aside. We'll do that in the near future, but we did have a really good time, uh, playing games and, and copying software. So that was fun. And also, Mikey recommended, I've been doing a lot of shopping here in Greensboro, and he recommended a few different um, flea markets and um, thrift stores and things like that for me to hit. And so I have bought, it's a good thing I drove on this trip because the trunk is now half full with, I bought two different lunch boxes. I bought a trash can with the Mac Tonight from McDonald's on it. It's like a copyright 82 trash can. Um, about a scrubbing bubble squeeze toy. Don't find those every day. Um, so I've been doing a, probably more shopping, some shopping out of boredom, but I've been having a good time and he recommended, uh, the Cook's flea market, which is, um, Cook's flea market is in Winston Salem, which is just right around the corner from Greensboro. And, um, so I went there. And I was looking for video game stuff, you know, the the normal stuff that I look for when I go to flea markets like that. And, um, I ran across this place called the hip hop Kung Fu shop. I love that name. Um, and there was a, um, a black guy probably in his late forties, uh, maybe early fifties. And I walked into his little shop and uh, I was immediately taken back. To the, the 80s, the 70s and 80s um, era of these import um, chop-sucky kung fu movies, you know. He had this entire wall. He had some of the movies split out by actors. He said, here's the Jet Li area, here's the Jackie Chan area. This is the, um, you know, Shaolin, Wu-Tang-type uh, area. And um, then he had a, a separate area of, like, um, hip hop movies and stuff. And I looked through a few of those, some, um, exploitation films and, um, just a super cool little booth. I really dug it. Um, and, uh, I didn't end up buying anything because I don't even have a, a, a DVD player with me. You know what? That's not true. I have one on my laptop. I guess I could have bought something, but, um, I just went through all the movies, you know, but anyway, it was the hip hop Kung Fu shop. And, um, and actually, he has a—he gave me a flyer that has the URL on it. It is hiphopkungfushop.com. Also on Facebook, he has Hip Hop Kung Fu Shop. So there's a little plug to the Hip Hop Kung Fu Shop guy. If you um, buy something from him or check out his website, then you can tell him that a, uh, a random guy passing in the night. Well, not the night. It was about 11 o'clock on Saturday. A random guy from Oklahoma wandered into his shop. And uh, pass that information on. But anyway, uh, I talked to him for a couple minutes and he uh, seemed like a cool guy. But but um, a lot of episodes that you don't know flat get sparked by conversations or suggestions, or, you know, I'll see something on TV or I'll remember something. Somebody will mention something to me in conversation and that will spark a memory and that will lead to a show. And so, you know, as I was looking through his movies, you know, this flood of memories came back. I was really big into ninjas and stuff like that. And I had a lot of ninja stories and, and ninja related things. And I thought, you know what, this could be a show. And so I went home. Uh, well, it's funny to call your uh, hotel home, but when you've been there for a week, it it does start to um, take on that, that, um, that role. But, uh, so I went to the hotel and I grabbed my little loose leaf notebook and I started writing down things. And that's, uh, how this episode came to be. So anyway, without further ado, let's get started with episode 133 of You Don't Know Flack (laughs) Ninja. I'm pretty sure my first exposure to ninjas came from watching Kung Fu Theater on Channel 34, which was a local UHF channel. Uh, During the summers, they would run, I think they just called it Kung Fu Theater, and they would run old, bad Kung Fu movies on Saturdays, and so I would watch those. Occasionally, they ran them in 3D. You could go to, I think, 7-Eleven and pick up 3D glasses to watch these um, old Kung Fu movies. But, you know, these were the old school, 60s, 70s type um, Kung Fu movies, you know. I remember watching those as a kid. But it, that, that in itself didn't really lead to anything. Now, I know this may be difficult for some of you to believe, but I actually got picked on <laughs> quite a bit, actually, as a kid. I was a dorky kid who was not into sports, which most of my neighbors were into sports. Um, I wasn't into a lot of the things they were into. I was into video games and computers, and, and um, so I had my... My little set of friends that were into that, but a lot of the kids that lived right around me in my neighborhood were not into those things. And so around third grade, um, one of my dad's friends at work, his, his, um, my dad's friend's sons were both in karate and I, I don't know if, uh, somehow my dad ended up talking to this guy, but, um, what came out of it was that I should probably enroll in karate to learn self-defense so I did and I was in karate for probably about 10 years I am um, uh, in fact I, I um, got to the rank of brown belt so I was a karate for a long time um, but when I enrolled in karate one of our other neighbors worked for century martial arts and century martial arts is a huge national supplier of accessories for uh, martial arts they they everything from uniforms to, um, belts to, you know, workout accessories and century martial arts is located in Oklahoma city. So, um, this neighbor worked there and she would get us catalogs from century martial arts. And so I would look through these catalogs and boy, did I start making a wish list? I mean, there was some cool stuff in there, you know? This is probably the first place where I saw a lot of the, um, weapons and stuff, I guess, that were associated with ninjas, but I would hang on to these catalogs. You know, I have them in my room. Now my neighbor, um, my neighbor's older brother, his name is Greg. And I've talked a little bit about Greg in, um, the D and D episode. Greg was the, um, older kid. You know, he was like Uh, three or four years older than us. And so he was kind of in, in D and D he was the guy that was, um, you know, we were dopey kids messing around with basic D and D and he was the guy that introduced us to a D and D he was kind of our little, uh, neighborhood dungeon master for a little while. Um, but Greg was also into ninjas, you know, like I said, he was a few years older. So he, I guess, got into ninjas a little bit before the rest of us. And uh uh so he had started this little co- you know um collection of ninja weapons. Uh, he showed us his chinese stars and he had um, a blowgun and all these things. But uh I saw him one time fully dressed up in his ninja suit and he looked like a badass. <laughs> I mean it completely changed once the mask came on, you know, and it just covered his whole face. You could just see his eyes and it just changed the entire, um, I mean, it changed everything about him. He looked completely different. And, uh, anyway, I was like, oh, that is cool, man. That makes me want to be a ninja. (laughs) It made me want to be a ninja really bad. Now, this is probably around sixth grade for me. And, um, it's funny how, you know, when you think back as the things you're into as a kid, the, um, different fads or whatever, how they, um, they overlap a little bit, you know? So, but, so what overlapped for me before this time was breakdancing. So when I was, um, I think in fifth grade, was when the movie Breakin' came out. Fourth or fifth grade, Breakin' came out, Beat Street came out, and we had an opportunity to go see the Coca Cola Break Dancers, <laughs> who came to a local uh, grocery store and they set up a big stage and they break. You know, they were break dancing, and that got me and my friends really into break dancing. So for a couple of years, you know, we were really we wanted to be break dancers, and then this Ninja thing came along, and uh, our uh, interests began to change. All of a sudden, we did not uh, feel that we would become professional breakdancers at some point in our career. We decided that we may, um, you know, end up being ninjas. And so, uh, well, first I started to get uh, a few ninja magazines. There were ninja magazines in the stores. And then at a bookstore, my parents bought me this book. The book is called Ninja, the Invisible Assassins. And it was written by Andrew Adams. And I thought it was a new book at the time, but it turns out, um, I, mean, I guess it was around since like the 70s. You know, I got it in the, the mid 80s. Um, but this book was what got me completely into becoming a ninja. <laughs> Started down my path of ninjahood. So, this book, Ninja the Invisible Assassins, um, the first two chapters talk about the history of ninjas. And it talked about how it was, um, uh, you know, they were all masters of of uh, invisibility and hiding and stealth. And it had all the pictures of the, the secret little ninja uh, hand signals and things like that. Oh, man. God, I love that book. I actually have found that book in PDF format, and I have it on my iPad right now. <laughs> Completely unrelated to this episode. But I have gone through and looked at it. And, I mean, there are parts of it that are... Obviously, a little, uh, far stretch a little bit from reality, I would think, but, uh, man, I really love that book. There was also an author, uh, I believe his name, um, obviously I'm in the middle of nature here. I don't have my computer, uh, Ashiva, I believe it's right. Ashiva Kim. I'll have to look that up, but, um, uh, Kim also had a, a bunch of books on ninjutsu about weapons, about yeah, training, you know, all these, these books and these magazines, um, you know, I, I, uh, later I got into skateboarding and skateboard magazines would have these little pictorials, like how do you do an Ollie? And it would have, you know, three or four pictures in a row showing you how to, to perform a trick. But these books and magazines had things like how to crush your opponent's windpipe. <laughs> Things that the average, you know, 12 year old doesn't really need to know, but, um, but you know, so you would practice these, these little techniques in your room. You know, if anybody ever attacked me, uh, windpipe first, I was ready to crush that thing. So, um, in sixth grade, I'm pretty sure this is sixth grade. I spent the night at my friend Jason's house and Jason asked me if I'd seen this movie called Enter the Ninja, which I hadn't. And so we watched Enter the Ninja. And Enter the Ninja introduced me to a couple of different things. It introduced me to the concept of ninjas wearing something besides uh, black ninja outfits. In the first few minutes of Enter the Ninja, we see seen ninjas wearing red suits, white suits, uh, black suits. I believe later on in the training there are... Um, Guys in blue suits and yellow suits, which, by the way, the whole opening few minutes of Enter the Ninja is about this guy going through, you know, to complete his ninja training. And uh, he's an American, and we don't really uh, know at the time that all the people he is killing are not really being killed. But um, he's being chased or, you know, pursued through the woods by an entire team of ninjas dressed in red ninja suits. And I thought, who came up with that idea? I mean, there's nothing, unless you're hiding... um, behind what, what would you hide behind in a red ninja suit, a giant Robin, <laughs> uh, uh, an erupting volcano, I guess that would be good camouflage other than that. I mean, it's stupid. And then of course the good guy, you know, and, and a throwback to the, the classic, um, archetype of, you know, the Westerns, I mean, the good ninja is wearing a white ninja suit, which is, I mean, worse than red. <laughs> how are you going to hide in a white ninja suit in the middle of the forest? I'm looking at a forest right now through my car window and there is nowhere you could hide in a red or white ninja suit. But anyway, so enter the ninja um, introduced me to that, which I thought was really cool, but it also introduced me and the rest of the world to an actor named show Kosugi. I used to always say Kosugo, but it's Kosugi. So show Kosugi Is the real deal. I mean, he came from Japan, um, and he came to America. Um, He's from Tokyo. And he came to America and started working in films as a uh, stuntman. And he is like, you know, won hundreds of, of tournaments and things like that. And then he wrote the script, I guess, for Enter the Ninja. And in Enter the Ninja, he plays the bad guy, uh, who, who is against our, the white ninja from obtaining ninja ship. And, you know, later on they're, they're going to battle and we're going to talk a little bit more about show, uh, in this show, <laughs> Um, because, uh, we'll, we'll talk about those other two ninja movies shortly, Um uh, Revenge of the Ninja and Ninja three, the domination. Um, but at this point, after seeing this movie, um, you know, and, and I didn't really know it at the time, but Enter the Ninja, uh, which was released in 1981, was the movie that sparked the ninja craze in America. And, you know, you started going to flea markets and you would see um, ninja posters. You started seeing ninja, you know, weapons, and ninja everything. And so it was Enter the Ninja uh, that did that. But I decided that I was going to become a ninja. After seeing this movie, I was like, that's it. Screw breakdancing. Breakdancing will never pan out for me as a career path. I'm going to become a ninja. Because, I mean, really, if you look at the logistics of it, if you compare, I mean, how much money can you make breakdancing at parties versus killing people? Obviously. I mean, the the money choice is, um, you know, in ninja. Ninjutsu. Being a ninja. Ninja assassinations. So... The first thing you need to be a ninja, uh, is weapons and a mastery of weapons. And so I, I, um, circled all these weapons that I wanted in that century's martial arts catalog and gave it to my parents. And they, uh, said they would talk to the neighbor down the street to place an order. And so they did order me some weapons and this is what I got. Number one, foam rubber throwing stars. That came in green and orange, so you wouldn't lose them. Okay, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be a badass ninja here. (laughs) And I have these foam stars, and I had four until our cat chewed one. And then I had three. So, you know, I'm not going to be able to take on an onslaught of attackers with three and a half foam throwing stars. (laughs) The good news is, you would never lose them. I mean, there was, you know, like I said, they're green and orange. Um, I also got a pair of foam-covered nunchucks. Now, you know, the, the traditional nunchucks were made out of wood, I guess, with a chain connecting them too, so you had to get that sweet, squeaking sound of the chain as as you whip these things around uh, your head and your body and inevitably into your own crotch. But the the padded ones were connected with a vinyl cord, and they made no such uh sounds but they made the same I made the same sound when I had myself in the crotch with them as the other ones both hurt um uh taking them to the ninja balls um I also got a wooden ninja sword and of all the things that I had I mean as far as fake weapons the ninja sword was the best I think because it looked like basically a re- I mean the handle looked cool Um, and it looked like a real sword just in, you know, the, uh, scabbard, I guess, in its, in its holder, you know, so I would wrap a belt around me at my waist. We'll get a little bit into my ninja suit here uh, shortly, but I would wrap, you know, a belt around me or something and, um, stick this sword through it. And it looked like you were carrying a real sword. It was only until you, um, pulled it out and they realized that it was all black, um, and very light, that it was not a... You know, real sword. But the sword was pretty cool. I will give them that. And then I had this um bow and arrow uh, that I want to say was bear brand. I remember I had a bear on it. And it was bright red with a white string. And then I had a, um, a quiver for my arrows on my back. And the arrows that I had were gold colored and aluminum. So as I would run around, it would just be clanging, like, clack, 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 you know, not, not really good, again, for the um, stealth angle for the assassinations. But it was real bow and arrow, you know. So in Enter the Ninja, um, and in all the ninja movies, there are um, uh, different things that take place using bows and arrows. So I thought that would be an important uh, part of my training. So I, got, I had these weapons, you know, and also um, I had read about caltrops which are these tiny little um, pointy things and they're designed so that when you throw them on the ground no matter which way they land there will be a point facing up and so you would you know you could throw these if someone was chasing you and they would uh, they're almost like jumping jacks like the old or uh, little metal jacks you know except for they had sharp points on every side so uh I came up with this idea, and I've heard other people did the same thing, so maybe someone at school told me about this or whatever, but I made my own caltrops out of pencil erasers and straight pins. So you would take a uh, uh, pencil eraser and pull it out, and then um, you know stick five or ten straight pins in all different directions, and then you had your own little caltrop. And I would practice um, throwing these, and they would stick in my curtains, So I would throw them or I would throw them, you know, on the carpet, just throw them down and see, you know, uh, I don't know what I was practicing. It doesn't seem like, um, necessarily a move that would take a lot of practice, just throwing something. Um, but, and I, I do think I mentioned this on a previous podcast. Um, but I, I do remember throwing them at the uh, curtains and missing at one point and throwing it out the window and losing some of my caltrops out in the, the, yard and always worried, you know, I went out and looked for them. I couldn't find them. And I always worried that someday, like my dad would be mowing or something or, um, you know, somebody would be out there and they would step on one of these things. So, um, so yeah, I had my little caltrops and by the way, those were a pain in the ass to carry. I mean, you can't put them in your pocket because then they just stick you repeatedly. Um, so they, those usually went down in the bottom of, uh, the quiver for my arrows, uh, along with the foam Chinese stars, uh, which turned out not to be a good idea because every time you would reach in to get a, a Chinese star to throw at somebody, um, you would find one of the caltrops. So also at that time, you know, uh, I think my parents saw that I was interested in some of these things, but they didn't want to invest a lot of money because you never know how long one of these fads are going to last. I understand that. So my dad made me a blowgun. He put a mouthpiece thing on it and made these little darts out of like plastic, almost like a plastic like that you would see uh, like on the top of a a mustard bottle. By the way, the, the sound of the podcast is about to change because it is now raining in the sunroof. And so the next sound you hear will be that of the sunroof closing. I would also like to mention that the only two people uh, here in this parking lot are obviously um, two people that are having an affair. (laughs) It's a guy in a suit and then a lady, and they have both parked on the other side of the parking lot, and they're in the car, and the car's rocking. (laughs) So, they're also enjoying the sounds of nature and the sounds of the stories of ninjutsu. But anyway, so my dad made me this blow gun and it worked, it worked really well. And so I would, um, uh, practice shooting things or whatever. And, um, uh, mostly in the house. I remember I got in trouble because my dad had taken these really nice portrait pictures of me and my sister. Um, and, uh, another girl that my mom used to babysit. And I would go all the way in the kitchen when no one was home and shoot the blowgun and stick them in the pictures And then one day, uh, my parents saw that there were holes in the pictures and I was never really good at denying. Well, obviously, I mean, if there are blowgun holes in something, I'm probably the culprit. Uh, so anyway, um, the second thing that I needed was a ninja suit. I mean, I had all these sweet weapons piling up, but I needed a ninja suit. So I had a black karate gi, a uniform. I did not have a black belt, um, but uh, I had just a normal belt, right? So I started putting together my own ninja suit. One thing I had was, well, like I said, I had this karate suit. And then I needed some sweet ninja shoes, or tabi, as they were called. Um, If you ever saw them in real life, they were... Uh, Ninja shoes, they were kind of like rubber-soled shoes on the bottom, and they um, had little hooks that fastened in the back. And um, uh, they were like a split toe, almost like uh, a pair of flip-flops or sandals. Um, But I didn't have any of those. But what I did have was some regular house shoes and some black socks. And so I put these house shoes on, and then I put the black socks over the house shoes, and then tuck the top of the gi into uh, the socks. So I thought that'll work. The other part I needed was a ninja mask. I didn't have one of those either, but I did have a ski mask that was black with the eye holes um, and the mouth hole. And so I cut the eye holes into an oval shape so that it would look like a um, you know, a ninja mask or the eye hole, you know, at least would. And so I assembled my little thing and then I I got just a regular belt that I had from school, you know, just like a normal belt you would wear. And I put that on the outside and I stuck my sword in there and I put on my bow and arrow and I had this, um, floor length mirror on the back of my bedroom door and I stood in front of it and looked at myself. And the first thing I remember thinking is that I look like a bloated tick (laughs) I look ridiculous. I mean, it was like this big plump black thing, uh, that would not strike fear into any opposing ninja or any kid in my neighborhood who ever bullied me, uh, or anyone really circus clowns would not be afraid. Um, little tiny children would not be afraid of this outfit. I look like a SWAT team member, um, but, like an over inflated one kind of <laughs> it was really stupid, um but you know what it's what I had, and when we were kids, that's what we did. we didn't um uh, necessarily have the newest of everything or the best of everything or whatever i mean we this was um you know ninjas you gotta make do if you watch the ninja movies you know they they have to adapt they have to do I'm sure if um show uh did not hit it big, he would have made his own ninja suit out of whatever he had. So so now that I had my weapons and I had my ninja suit, it was time for some ninja missions. And the first ninja mission I decided to do was to spy on the toke house. Now my neighbors had this little metal shed that they called the toke house. And I had no... uh comprehension at all about drugs. I didn't understand the reference of toking on um, uh, a joint or anything like that. So I had no idea why this was called the the Toke House. All I knew is that um, all the the cool kids would go in there and smoke cigarettes and um, look at Playboy magazines that they'd got from their dad's closets or something. So... I had even gone to the toke house. Like I said, it was a metal shed, like that you would put a like lawn in and stuff. And they had turned it; they had added enough wood to make it two stories. So each story in the toke house was three foot tall. So you would go in and hunch over, and then there was a little trap door, and you moved that, and you went upstairs, and that's where all the good stuff was, I guess. If you call it, if you call it the good stuff. Um, and so they would go in there and. Um, you know, stay there for hours. And I was, I decided this was my first mission was I was going to spy on the Toke House. And so I i got on all my my ninja gear, you know, and all this stuff. I don't think I had any of my weapons with me, but I have my ninja suit and my house slippers covered in black socks and my um, SWAT team slash ninja mask thing. And I waited until the sun went down and it started getting dark. And there was this little tiny row of evergreen trees and they were, I mean, they were not, not very tall, more like bushes, I guess you'd say. Um, and there was one every like five or six feet that ran down this fence. And so, um, as the, the, um, sun went down and it got dark, I went and I, I ran across the street and I got behind one of those little bushes and I started working my way up and I I knew they were in the toke house because I could see the light, um, you know, coming in from, from outside, they had run an extension cord out there and had a a little lamp. Um, so I got up there and I could get really close, you know, I didn't want to get too close, but I could hear them inside talking. So I was pretty close and I have no idea what possessed me to do this, but I picked up a rock, like a little piece of gravel and I threw it. And of course, when it hit the side of that metal, it just went bang. you know, and, um, Then I could hear them all running around and come open the door and then they're all standing there. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to get my ass kicked in a ninja suit (laughs) really quick. And I just stayed really still. And they all came out and they were like, who's out there? And they were looking, you know, scanning everything. And I stayed as still as I could. And then they went back in, you know, and I thought, oh, I got away with it, you know lucky me, I should go home and not do that again. Right. Wrong. I pick up another rock and I throw it, Bang, you know, and here they come out. And then they started, and this is, um, there's a, a similar thing. Maybe this is something that people do, but they started yelling. I know you're there. I could see you this night. And, and I thought, Oh God, they can see me. But the thing is they couldn't, they really couldn't see me, um, you know, in the dark and blended in with that little bush. And I just stayed so still. And I thought, you know what? I'm not gonna throw any more rocks. When they go back in, I'm out of here. And so, um, they went back in, and I stood up and started running home. And then they came right back out, and they were like, "I see you." And I, obviously, they knew who it was. There was no one else in my neighborhood that looked like a fat tick running around the neighborhood in a makeshift ninja suit, you know. But um, it was very exhilarating experience. It was very cool to just blend in, you know, and hide in the night a little bit, I guess. Um, You know, uh, and I thought this um, art of invisibility stuff, this is working out. These books, you know, I'm learning. I'm becoming a ninja. And so um, then there was... uh, We used to have a not very nice phrase to describe the... Knocking on someone's front door and running off. Um, My nieces one time told me that's called a ring and run now. So I will use that terminology from now on. So we had decided to ring and run uh, the neighbor's house. Uh, Well, actually, we hadn't decided that at that time. Um, So this is like, oh nine or 10 o'clock. And, you know, my neighborhood, all the kids would come out. Um, and hang out like on the street corner or, or next door. And there's a, a big field between my house and the next door neighbor's house. And we would go, um, hang out and, and come up with ideas of things to do. And so we had gone on the other side of my neighbor's house. Uh, and we were standing in between my next door neighbor's house and the house on the other side of him. And we were trying to come up with, um, you know, something fun to do. And my neighbor had had a visitor over. We'll put it that way. And so they were inside the house, this lady and her visitor. And we were standing around trying to come up with ideas of something, you know, fun to do. And one of the guys in our group decided he would go do a ring and run and not tell us. So he ran around the front of their house Uh, rang the doorbell a bunch of times and ran off the other direction. So we had no idea. So we're all standing there, you know, in the corner of the house. And, and what I didn't realize is that the guy had now put on a robe because apparently he was not wearing any clothes. He had put on a robe and come out and was standing on the front porch. So none of us know that this has happened. So I said, well, maybe, you know, we could go down the block or something. So I walk around the corner and all of a sudden, and no one else is, everybody else is behind me. I'm the first person. So I walk around the corner and I stop and I look and about 20 feet away from me is a guy in his robe who is pissed. And he says, did you just ring my doorbell? I'm wearing a ninja suit. I'm not even wearing a good ninja suit. I'm wearing a terrible homemade ninja suit with a wooden sword hanging off my side. And I said, no, sir. And then he said, come here. And I turned around and I ran. And I shouted, run. And everybody ran. And we scattered. And so we, um... Everybody took off running in different directions. And like I said, it was dark. Um, and my next door neighbor's backyard was like filled with trees and hedges and evergreens and, um, you know, just millions of places to hide. And, and I mean, this is like a um, half acre, probably backyard. And then there was a half acre lot in between that house and my house. So there was a million places to hide. And so at one point our neighbors had raised um, Pigeons. And they have these pigeon coops. And so I dove under this pigeon coop. And here comes this guy. I could see his um, silhouette from the streetlight. And he starts shouting. And I I knew I had seen where most of my friends, like some of them were in the evergreen trees. One kid had climbed a tree. One kid was behind this little brick half wall thing, you know. And then there I was. And I was probably the furthest away um, in this little pigeon coop. So I could see the entire scene. And this guy comes back and he's like, I see you. I see you hiding over there. And, of course, he didn't know that all of us were back there. He just knew that he had seen me. So he's shouting, I see you over there. I see, you You know, just, I guess, trying to flush us out or something. And um, he got really close to this evergreen tree and started, you know, kind of like parting the, the branches or whatever. And one of my friends was in there and they took off running. And then when he started running, you know, he started shouting, "Hey, hey!" And then everybody started running. Everybody just got out of their hiding spot and scrambled. Uh, and so I did the same. I turned and I ran. And between, I, you know, I crossed that half-acre lot. And then between that and my house was a chain-link fence. And that may have been the most awesome jump I ever did in my entire life. I mean, at full speed, I ran, I jumped. You know, I I just um, almost hurtled. I mean, I I used my hands and cleared this fence and kept running, and I ran all the way around. Um, And then in my my, uh, front yard, we had these hedges, and I hid behind these hedges, and I could um, see, you know, I heard all this yelling and stuff, and then eventually that guy went and got in his car, and he drove around the block a few times looking for us, and um, it was really... And that was scary. It was exciting, but it was scary too cuz I thought this redneck dude wearing only a robe is going to kill us. Um that guy was not happy to see us. But anyway, um so everything about ninjas was like really fun, really kind of exciting, you know, and um anyway, one day my neighbors my next door neighbor said they, they called me and they said, hey, we're having a poker party. Do you want to come over and play poker? And I was like kind of excited because pretty much I didn't get included in anything like that in my neighborhood. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll come do that. And so uh, I was really excited. I got, you know, some change from my parents and it was dark. It was probably nine or 10 o'clock. I got some change. I put it in a little Ziploc baggie um, and put it in my pocket. And so you go out and like I said, to get to my neighbor's house, you had to walk through this, um, field and there's no real lights in that area. Um, I mean, the street lights are like down on the, on the corners of the block, but not right there. So it's really dark field that you had to cross. So I'm walking over there and I don't, I don't ever remember being really afraid of the dark. Um, but I, mean, this was kind of a long way to go and it's pretty dark. So I'm walking across there. And all of a sudden, erupting from the ground is a ninja. And I knew I was dead. I ran. I have never been more scared in my life. I ran. I was screaming. I lost a shoe. I was running as fast as my little fat ass could go. (laughs) And all I kept hearing behind me was, it's me, it's Greg. Hey, you know, slow down. It's Greg. And then he finally caught me and I realized that it was my next door neighbor's older brother, Greg. And so this had whole been a setup to get me out of my house and into this field. And so, you know, then eventually, of course I was bawling, um, you know, and then I look back at all the neighborhood kids are standing next door and they're all laughing. Um, because, you know, this was a a whole funny thing. Um, and, I still to this day get paranoid when I am in the dark like that not not inside but outside like in open spaces where it's really dark and I I think it's it's related to that that day I mean you know when when I used to um at our old house I would go out in the yard you know when it was dark and stuff uh, out to the arcade and back, and I always look over my shoulder, I'm always looking, you know, ahead of me or whatever, and I think it has something to do with that, but that really changed things for me, I and mean, that took, that went from, hey, I'm a ninja, you know, crawling around at night and doing stuff, into, like, almost being afraid of them, you know, and, um, but it did, it changed my perspective of, of how I looked at them, but, um, Anyway, after that, I think Greg um, felt bad about that, and so he kind of took me under his wing, and I became his little ninja apprentice. And so he had these um, little training exercises that he would have me do, and one was throwing. Um, they had this this um, like a a wooden picket fence, and we would practice uh, throwing stars into it. Now, if you got the good kind. By the good kind, there was like a Chinese throwing star that had like 800 points all the way around it. I mean, it's basically like throwing a uh, circular saw blade at a piece of wood. I mean, you could throw that at anything anyway, and it would stick. So those were really cool. But what sucked was all the other actual ninja stars, like that you would see in the movies, that were four-pointed. They had some that were um, swirled, and then some that were just like shaped like a star. But I would go out and practice throwing those into wood that was rotten and they would bounce off. This is wood I could walk up to as a 12 or 13 year old and stick my finger into. <laughs> and I couldn't get these damn stars to stick in them, you know. So um and if you watch ninja movies um in in Revenge of the Ninja which which um I'll talk about here in just a second but uh in the very beginning there's a ninja that throws a star and embeds it halfway into a guy's head. I mean, that is through bone. That is halfway into someone's head, through his skull, into his brain. And uh, I couldn't stick one into this damn rotting wood. So, you know, that that's when I thought maybe this um, ninja thing might not might not work out as a long-term career goal for me. But I was willing to try. Uh, we also did blowgun training. And so he had his dart gun, his blowgun. And he had... Um, not a homemade one like mine. He had uh, one that you bought and it had these, the darts were like these long, uh, just like a long needle. And then they were attached to like a big orange bead. And so the, um, you would put it in the blow gun and, you know, obviously just point and, and blow with your, with your mouth. And, um, you would be amazed at how fast these things went and they would stick into anything. And so I remember when he first showed it to me, he told me, take the blowgun and then put a dart in there, which I did. And then he said, take a deep breath. And when I did, my mouth was too close to the blowgun and I ended up sucking the dart directly into my teeth. Um, So it was like (laughs) like I had shot it in reverse. And to this day, I'm always, I'm very self-conscious about choking on things. Um, And, you know, I... I, have, I used to have nightmares about that because I think if I had to had my teeth just, I mean, a little bit more open, that would have went right into my windpipe, and I don't know if you can dig out a dart like that out of someone's windpipe or what happens if you swallow, you know, a six-inch deadly ninja weapon, but um, prob- probably not good things, you know, so uh, it probably was a good idea that my parents had bought me... Um, these foam stars, uh, you know, I wasn't doing so good with the real weapons, but, um, uh, so anyway, uh, in 1982, Revenge of the Ninja came out. That was the second Ninja movie. So it had already been out before, uh, I had started a lot of this, but I hadn't seen it yet. Um, so Revenge of the Ninja, um, stars, um, Shokosugi. and in this one, he is the good guy. Uh, Within the first few minutes of of this, his entire family gets killed by evil ninjas. Um, Okay, now I'm going to have to actually roll the window up more because it's now raining inside the car. Bye-bye, wonderful sounds of nature. Uh, So anyway, I wonder if I could move my car into an area that's not getting rained on. Okay, so I have now moved the car uh, underneath a bunch of trees so it is not uh, raining. And I've opened the... I have to dry the... uh, Rain off of the... Podcasting on location's hard, folks. I don't know if you know that. Um, but this is uh, a bunch of crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's a raining in the damn car. I got water everywhere. I'm running out of iced coffee. I don't know if you can hear that. Lots of uh, technical issues to overcome on this one. But we're going to power through. You know why? Because we are freaking ninjas. All right. So, Revenge of the Ninja. We've got... Um, Show uh, Kosugi back this time in a starring role, and um, his entire family gets slaughtered. Uh, he is uh, a Japanese businessman, and his American friend wants him to come to America. And I would love, you know what? I'm, I'm, uh, I would love, love for either this or the third Ninja film, Ninja Three: The Domination, to show up on an episode of throwback reviews um, and then to get me on there as a guest because these are some of my favorite, uh, not just ninja movies, but 80s movies. I love these two movies. Um, And if they don't want to watch the movies, I will perform them with sock puppets and I know every line to every movie, so we can do that. Uh, But anyway, so, um, you know, I think my parents at this point realized that I was – this was more than just a passing fad that I was going to be into ninjas for a while. And so for my birthday, they got me a ninja suit. And I opened this box, and there's my ninja suit. And it was so cool. And then my parents did that cool trick that you play on your kids. My dad says to me, Hey, um, what, uh, where, where are the shoes? Doesn't it come with shoes? And I'm like no, it doesn't come with tab eye. You have to get those separately. And he's like, oh, here, open this. And I open it, and there's my freaking ninja shoes. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, God, they're so awesome. And I would put those on. I would wear those around my house while wearing shorts. Just, um, you know, a T-shirt and shorts and these ninja boots. They were so freaking awesome. I love those things. Uh, and I had, you know, a real ninja mask now. So... Um, I also got a ninja sword, which was, um, some sort of aluminum. The blade was like this aluminum that couldn't be sharpened. So it didn't have a blade on it, but it was heavy. And also, I mean, it was sharp. The point, it didn't have a blade, but it had a sharp point on it. So I, I was a, um, uh, not so much with the cutting, but more with the stabbing. I was like a stabbing type ninja. Um, So anybody, I could, um, do parties for shish kebabs, um, or stabbing people through, uh, things. I don't know. Doesn't seem, uh, that useful of a technique now in retrospect. Uh, but I got that. I got some real Chinese stars, you know, so now this is all coming together that I'm actually becoming, um, really a young trained assassin, uh, at the age of. I don't know I'm probably 13 or 14 at this point I guess and um you know I began uh with this stuff doing more training missions I called them you know where I would sneak out um you know at night like sneak out of my window and I wouldn't necessarily do anything like I would just sneak around the neighborhood like you know walk down a thing of trees or walk behind um people's fences and stuff, and then if I saw cars, I would make sure I hid. So in my mind, I was training for something. I'm not really sure. The Ninja Olympics maybe? I don't know. Um, and you know, during this time, there's also a lot of influences that we see in pop culture from ninjas. You know, that you got these ninja movies coming out um, in Wizardry, which is one of my, I mean, the first Computer role playing game uh, that I ever played, you know, the first dungeon crawler type game, uh, you could make ninjas. I mean, you could, um, if you had the right stats or whatever, you could take characters later and promote them into ninjas. Um, when I was in seventh grade, I met my friend Lewis, and he introduced me to, I was already into advanced Dungeons and Dragons, but he had the Oriental Adventures book and the Oriental adventures took Dungeons and Dragons, but in a, an Oriental setting. And so, uh, you know, instead of like paladins, you had samurai and, um, ninjas were kind of a cross between a thief acrobat type, um, character, but so anything that had ninjas in it like that, uh, I was kind of into, but I was also, I'll talk a little bit about this here in a few minutes, but, um, I was kind of a ninja snob, <laughs> If you will, like I, this is is stupid, um, but I didn't like things that I thought were piggybacking on to the ninja deal, but weren't like true, weren't like you know. So this is like the I'm like the ninja emo, the original emo ninja. I, I didn't like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, because I thought it was just kind of almost like a parody of ninjas, and what I hated, um, three ninjas those movies where it was three little kids and they were training to be ninjas or whatever. I hated those movies. Um, uh, I mean, I think it was probably a little too old for them anyway when they came out, but just that idea that, um, Oh, I thought I saw a ninja out in the woods. It's a bird, but yeah, I hated three ninjas. Um, I hated anything like that, that I thought was just like, On, you know, piggybacking on ninjas that didn't, um, actually, uh, you know, show like true ninjas, I guess, if you will. About this time, and this is, um, mid eighties now, I saw Ninja three, the domination ninja three, the domination is a fun movie and it's kind of like enter the ninja is the first one. And Enter the Ninja, like, introduces you to Ninja, the whole idea of Ninja culture, the training, you know, all these things like that. That's Enter the Ninja. Revenge of the Ninja uh, takes it to the next level. I mean, it's a little crazy, but in um, Revenge of the Ninja, uh, you get to see, you know... I mean, Revenge of the Ninja is where we see the Ninja Star belt buckle for the first time. We get to see all these... um, you know, cool types of things or whatever. Um, then the third one is Ninja three, the domination and Ninja three, the domination. Again, uh, if throwback reviews wants to do revenge of the ninja or Ninja three, the domination, I'm ready tonight. I'm ready to go. I don't need to watch it as a brush up. I'm ready. Um, and Ninja three, the domination stars, Lucinda Dickey. Now I didn't know this at the time, but apparently listen, Dickey was a big Solid Gold Dancer. Most people know Lucinda Diggy from her role in Breakin' and Breakin' 2 as Kelly, a.k.a. Special K, uh, who is the main female star of Breakin' and Breakin' 2. Uh, And she got to use some of her dance moves. Obviously, she was not a break dancer like Turbo and Ozone. Uh, But, you know, so... So she had gone from solid gold and then she had been in these breakin movies and I guess there was like some sort of um uh, you know how it is uh movie producers wanting to pull in current fads and stuff and so I guess they got Lucinda Dickey to star in Ninja 3: The Domination. And by the way, if there was any girl that I was in love with more at that time, I mean this girl was in Breakin and she was in Ninja 3: The Domination. So she's a breakdancer and a ninja so I don't know what you're looking for in a future wife. That's a combination that's hard to beat, right there. So, in Ninja 3 The Domination, I'm going to ask that you do this. Uh, I want you to go, I will add a link in the show links, in the show notes. I would like you to go to YouTube and look up uh, the opening sequence from Ninja three, the domination. And I'm not sure how long the first, I mean, it's probably less than, than 10 minutes, but, uh, in the beginning of this movie, and I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it. I don't have to say there's spoilers for a 1983 Ninja movie. Um, but if you go, uh, this Ninja goes down and the first thing he does is there's a, um, a, some sort of famous person, a doctor or something. And, um, Uh, he's out golfing. And so uh, the bad ninja in Ninja 3 kills this guy, kills his girlfriend. He has two bodyguards and he kills the bodyguards. Um, And then uh, somebody stumbles across the body. They call um, the LAPD who shows up and this guy proceeds to kill at least 50 cops. Um, And whereas... Revenge of the Ninja is, uh, obviously a ninja type movie is always going to be a little outlandish, a little, you know, pushing the, the boundaries of reality as far as jumping up and down 50 foot, you know, uh, ledges or, or things like that. Um, and there, there's parts towards the end of Revenge of the Ninja where you go, Really? Um <laughs> like there's a part uh in Revenge of the Ninja where um the good guy is chasing the bad ninja and the the fight has now escalated to the roof of a high-rise building. So I I, I mean the nobody knew that the fight was going to go there. So the fight's just there. They they have escalated things and now they're on the roof of this building. And the evil ninja has hidden. It's almost like that scene in Empire Strikes Back where uh, Luke is hiding near the end and Darth Vader is walking around looking for him, you know. And um, it's the same kind of thing where, you know, so the good ninja is walking around. You know at some point he's going to stumble across the bad ninja. He's going to jump out and they're going to fight. And so as he walks by this, um, it's either a, a swimming pool or a hot tub. I think it's a swimming pool. This hand jumps out and grabs him. It's obviously the bad ninja. And so the good ninja goes, Ha! Ah! and he pulls his sword out and he cuts this arm mean, he slices the arm. And then what we realize is that it's a robotic arm and that you can see, um, you know, the wires and everything. So if you think about the level of bullshit <laughs> involved in that, like somehow, I mean, that's like, that puts MacGyver to shame. Like, someone's chasing you, and and you disappear for 30 seconds. I want you to look around right now. I don't even care. I don't care if you're in a robotics factory right now. You look around and think, in 30 seconds, could you build a human-looking arm that's robotic, that works underwater, that would jump up and grab... I mean, just the level of ridiculousness, you know. So, it, it starts a little bit, I should say, in Revenge of the Ninja. But, in Ninja 3, The Domination... Uh, I mean, in the first 30 seconds of this fight, one of the bodyguards pulls out his revolver to shoot the ninja. And the ninja pulls out his blowgun and fires a dart and it goes into the barrel of the revolver. And then the revolver blows up in the guy's hands. And uh, when the, um, the, the golfer tries to kill the ninja. He, he hits the ninja. I mean, he's going to strike him with a golf club and the ninja blocks it and the golf club wraps around his arm. And so then they're like, you know, (laughs) which is what I would say if I tried to hit somebody with a golf club and it wrapped around their arm. Uh, But what always struck me about that scene, even as a kid is that obviously uh, I mean, and this ninja is not, it's not like he's one of these ninjas where he only wants to maim people. He doesn't want to kill him. This guy wants to kill everybody. So by blowing the dart into the revolver, uh, I mean, that's an intentional thing. If it were unintentional, I mean, it would have been much easier for him to blow a dart into the guy's eyeball and kill him instantly, you know? So the fact that he did that, um, into the revolver, I mean, basically they were just showing that it's something that he could do. That's how good he was. But what a ridiculous thing to do. Um, so anyway, as the opening, you know, 10 minutes go, basically the entire LAPD uh, you know, is after this ninja now. And and after he kills the first wave of cops, then they send out everybody. Um, I mean, you know, during this chase, the ninja climbs a palm tree, jumps onto, grabs onto an LAPD helicopter, kills uh the uh there's a rifleman up there who's shooting at the ninja and the pilot he kills both of them jumps out of the helicopter into a pond uses his blowgun as a breathing device um it's the one of the most ridiculous i mean there is ridiculous things uh in movies and especially in ninja type movies but not typically in american Ninja type movies. Usually we saw that from imported type, you know, um, the, the chop sucky Chinese seventies type theater, but this is ridiculous. I mean, this is, um, and another thing that always bothered me about the opening of this movie. And like I said, I'm not giving the whole movie away. This is the first 10 minutes is that when the LAPD finally, you know, track down the Ninja and they find him, they stand in a circle of like 10 officers all of them with rifles and shotguns. So the ninja's in the middle. There are 10 police officers surrounding the ninja in a circle, and they're all shooting shotguns at him uh, with a radius of about 20 feet, which really means they're shooting at other police officers 20 feet away with shotguns. Uh, It's one of the the craziest scenes in movie history, you know. And um, one of my favorite things about that scene, too, is... Uh, at one point they shoot him and he flails up into the air and lands on his back. And later throughout the movie, you're going to see this scene several times in flashbacks. And when they show it in flashbacks, it's different. They, <laughs> I mean, they must've shot that, that scene several times, but the way that he jumps into the air. And I mean, at one time, like both of his feet go in the air and one time, just one leg goes in the air. Uh, but every time they show the flashback, it's a little different, you know? So uh, just a very good, like, if you want to s- find out what 80s Ninja craze was about, look up Ninja three, the domination and the whole movies on YouTube, uh, watch the first 10 minutes of that. And if you're not hooked, then I will go find that old sword and come stab you. Uh, because that is a great movie. But anyway, um, we also, you know, as I mentioned, um, Ninja 2, ninjas in general, were finding their way into pop culture. I gotta close the GD sunroof again. So these movies were released, um, all three of these ninja movies were released earlier than what I actually thought. I think they were released earlier than I was exposed to them. They were released a year apart, 81, 82, 83. Um, I know that my copy of Ninja three, the domination that I had for years was taped off of HBO. So I probably saw it in 84 or, um, 85, something like that. Um, but because you have this giant influence of ninjas and what's the target audience for ninja movies. I mean, it's teenage boys, basically, I would think, um, Another thing that typically targets teenage boys is video games. And so one of the earliest ninjas I remember seeing in video games was the bad guy in Bruce Lee. Um, in the Bruce Lee video game, we had it on the, um, the Apple II and the Commodore 64. Uh, you were Bruce Lee and you ran around getting these little um, lanterns. But there were, you were chased by a sumo wrestler, a green sumo wrestler, and a ninja. So I remember seeing that. And then on the Commodore, there was the last ninja. Um, And you were the last ninja of your clan, and you had to run around. I always thought it was weird. Anytime you see something called the last ninja, and then there are other ninjas in it, it makes you wonder a little bit. But there was last ninja, last ninja two, last ninja three. Um, And then we had Shinobi. And as I've mentioned... On some of the other, uh, on the arcade-related podcasts, I owned, well, I I first played Shinobi at the local bowling alley, and I fell in love with that. I, I think 16-bit arcade games is probably, I mean, that 2D but detailed graphics are probably my favorite, uh, I mean, I love 8-bit games, don't get me wrong, but I think those, some of those 16-bit games with the really detailed characters and stuff, I really enjoy those. Um, and I, I just have never fully embraced 3d type games. You know, I think my, that's my era is eight bit, 16 bit. And when Shinobi came out, it was like everything I loved all in one place. It was ninja stuff. It was, um, arcade games. Uh, you had the bonus game where you threw uh ninja Stars shrieking at, um, uh, ninjas. You had ninjas wearing all different colors. Uh, you know, blue ninjas, red ninjas, green ninjas. um, I just love that game, and so when I um, originally set out to begin collecting arcade games, and I've mentioned this, I made a list of the top ten games that I wanted to own, and Shinobi was on that list, and Shinobi is, um, let's see, Elevator Action. Um, it's definitely one of the first two or three games, three or four games uh, that I owned. Um, and I have owned three different Shinobi cabinets. I told you in, uh, the other episode that I had, um, I had the, um, what the hell is this guy? He has pulled bumper to bumper to me. And, uh, oh, and there they go. All these people are, are bringing their, oh, they're digging their dogs for a run. And the ring. Hi, would you like to be interviewed about ninjas? He does not want to be interviewed about ninjas. There's no way that guy has ever seen a ninja movie, and I'm pretty sure I could crush his windpipe. Um, not his wife's, though. She looks pretty strong. She's got three dogs, too. <sighs> the fun of recording in uh, Ninja Nature Park, Greensboro, Arkansas. Uh so anyway, Shinobi. Um I, I've mentioned that I owned three different shinobis. I had the shinobi that had the uh sound problems. The original one that had no sound because of the uh suicide battery uh had leaked acid onto the board. Um and then I owned a uh, later I well I sold that one, then later I bought another shinobi and I was so worried about the battery leaking and doing that problem again that I bought a third shinobi. So I had got rid of the first Shinobi. So technically, later on, the second one was really just uh, my first Shinobi at that time. And then I had what I called my backup Shinobi, um, which I found for like a hundred bucks. So it's not like I was obsessed with uh, owning copies of Shinobi. But um, as a, would those people shut up? I am talking about ninjas over here. Do <laughs> do dogs. I swear to God, if I had a ninja suit right now, I would go follow. these <laughs> people. I would just hide behind a bush, you know, and then I would crush their dog's windpipe. Um... <laughs> uh, so anyway. Why would you bring your dogs to come out and walk in the rain? These people are morons. God. Anyway, uh, I like Shinobi. we covered that. Um, there were some... Oh, there's the phone. Don't put the phone on mute. Oh, Sorry, right, R2's got a text message for me. Yeah, this is why I'm not a ninja. I'm not so good at the multitasking. I'm not focused. When you're going to kill somebody, you got to be able to focus. You can't be um, sidetracked by people walking their dog. Um, later Generations. There was a Shinobi remake. Um, uh, not a remake, but a re-release Shinobi game on um, PlayStation 2 or 3. I think it was 2. I could be wrong on that. Um, I didn't play much of it. It it was uh, not really you know like the Shinobi that I remember. There was also um, Tenchu, um and there was a few of those games for the original PlayStation. That was more about stealth and things, and I did like those. I did enjoy playing those. Eight um, Bit Days, Retro Days. I played um, Kid Nikki Radical Ninja, which was not very related to ninjas, and there was um, Ninja Commando too. Um, what else? Like I said, there were a lot of goofy type, um, uh, arcade games that tried to get on that ninja craze. There was, um, ninja baseball game, which was, uh, you know, it's funny now, but back then I wasn't into it. Ninja clowns was another one. And so with, um, these types of episodes, there's always an act three. And that is where I talk about what happened? Like, why did I get out of this sort of thing? Or why am I no longer interested in it? And for, um, this episode, I mean, it's pretty cut and dry. Um, I turned 16 and I got a car and suddenly, um, sneaking around my neighborhood wearing, um, black pajamas and split toed shoes didn't seem that much exciting. I wanted to, uh, drive to arcades. I wanted to, you know, go visit my friends, go hang out, and I got a job. And so I didn't really have the time to pursue my ninja interests at that point in time. I had to give it a little break. Um, I would say that uh, breakdancing as a fad hobby, whatever you want to call it, gave way to my ninja uh, era. And then the ninja thing I think gave way to skateboarding. And so I may, um, you know, I'll get into the skateboarding more when I, we, we do our, um, skateboarding episode about skateboarding games, but that's kind of what, what, um, killed the ninja thing for me was just, you know, moving on, getting a little bit older. I realized that, um, uh, ninja being a ninja as a career was probably not going to pan out for me as a career choice. And so, um, instead I, Got a job at Mazio's Pizza and began making pizzas, which was nowhere near as much fun as uh, I might imagine um, tracking down red and blue and yellow ninjas would be. But, you know, pizza's pizza, right? So um, the, the, the last part of this episode I, I want to talk about, and I, I think I've told this story, probably not in this context, but uh, I have talked about this on the podcast before when I moved out of my parents' house, I got an apartment, which was the sleaziest little... It really wasn't that bad, but if you go there now, um, now I'm afraid to drive through it. I mean, it has really taken a turn for the worse. But I I got this little apartment. To give you an idea, I, I want to say it was probably five or 600 square foot at the most. Um, my rent... And this was in... 93 I'm going to say 92 93 um yeah 92 I guess my rent was $300 a month with all bills paid so all my utilities were in that and that included um my electricity and basic cable for 300 bucks a month so that gives you an idea of what this place was like um and so the the apartment complex was located next to this video rental store named Kaleidoscope Video. And I've talked about Kaleidoscope Video before on the show. Um, my uh, – I, after I lived there for uh, a few months, uh, my friend Andy moved in with me. And so Andy and I would walk over uh, to uh, this place, this Kaleidoscope Video, and rent uh, – movies, they also rented, um, Nintendo games. And so we would, uh, rent Nintendo games, rent, um, uh, movies, you know, and they had a a huge horror section and a huge, um, martial arts type section, which was full of, you know, seventies and eighties, uh, Kung Fu films, ninja films, things like that. And, um, And what's funny, too, is because this place also, I mean, it was like two rooms, and the entire second room was porn. I mean, it was adult films. And whenever we would walk in, the guy would, like, every time we walked in, the guy would say, hey, the porn's in the back. And we never rented porn over there. (laughs) All we wanted to do was rent Nintendo games and ninja movies. And, you know, so it's funny that that's what he'd always assumed when he saw us, that that's what we were there to do. I wish we were those guys. I wish we had been those guys that were there every Friday night renting porn, but instead we were renting Super Mario Brothers, um, and uh, you know Ninja Theater. So, uh, so we went over there, and that is the place where I really got exposed to all these weird, um, lesser-known type ninja movies. Um, and so, fast forward a few years kaleidoscope video went out of business and I drove by, I, I, um, it's not far from the FAA and I had driven by there and I saw the sign that said they were going out of business and then they had a sign that said all movies, uh, on sale for like $10 or something. And I thought, you know, even back then, $10 for a VHS, uh, VHS movie, uh, it and probably wouldn't have been, I mean, these are pre, you know, uh, Movie rentals, ex-movie rentals. So they're not in great condition. Um, But, you know, I thought, I don't know, $10 is not going to bring me in the door, you know. And then the next week I drove by and it said, you know, going on a business sale, all movies, $0.99. And that will get me in the door. I will buy anything for $0.99. I bought a Macintosh, um, like the old Macintosh Plus, Uh, that didn't work for 99 cents. Uh, I will buy crap for 99 cents. So don't kid yourself. I would buy, um, foam Chinese stars right now for 99 cents and may go onto eBay and do that after this episode. So, uh, I went in and, uh, you know, it had been several years, so there was no one in the store that I recognized. um, But I recognized the movies. And, of course, you know, the thing that gets sold in that a lot of times is the new releases, the hit films. That's what people wanted, you know. That's what you'll pay $10 for. So what was left was my kind of stuff. And so this is true. I bought the martial arts section and the horror section. I uh, had a credit card, and I said I want those shelves, and I want those shelves and I, you know i don't remember what i paid i'm going to say i it was over 200 but less than 300 so 200 and something movies um i had a uh, a pickup at the time and and so they we boxed up movies and you know i'm sure they thought i was a dealer or a distributor or whatever but no i was just a, a um, jackass that liked um horror movies and ninja movies and so Um, over the years I've got rid of most of the horror movies mainly just because they were released later on DVD. So I remember having things like, you know, the exorcist and Salem's lot. And, um, I got the entire collection of faces of death. I have faces of death. Um, I think in reality there's really only like three faces of death. And then once you get to four, five, six, They're kind of like best of Faces of Death type things. Um, But I have like uh, six or seven. I have all the Faces of Death um, videos. Just this amazing collection of crap that probably would have been better off in a landfill, but the stuff that did not that never made it to DVD and, you know, I've looked and if I can't find it in news groups or peer to peer or any place like that, because, you know, once I have something like that, like I have a movie, I don't want to get rid of it. Even if I'll never watch it again or whatever, it's something about, um, it'll drive me crazy. Like I'll turn it loose and I'll say, boy, I was really going to watch faces of death five when I, I probably wasn't, but I get that stuck in my head, you know? So, um, I bought from Walmart one of those VHS-2 DVD recorders, and so I began dubbing off all these things. But um, some of the ninja movies that I bought, one, I bought um, Master Ninja, which was a, a TV show that um, show uh, Kusogi was involved in, uh, and I have like eight, I think, of those, six or eight Master Ninja tapes, and... Um, some of the ones I remember off the top of my head, remember I'm, you know, a thousand miles away from from my house and my stuff. Um, I know I had Ninja the Protector, Ninja Terminator, which was a good one. That's another type of movie where they would play on something else in pop culture, you know, put Terminator uh, in that title. Um, Ninja Champion, which is a, a great movie if you're into bad movies. Um, That's a Godfrey Ho movie. Godfrey Ho is infamous in the business for buying up, um, I don't know if it's stock footage or um, just footage from Chinese, uh, Japanese type martial arts films. And then um, almost like what they did with the original Power Rangers where they would take overseas footage. And then, you know, cut it with American actor footage and try to piece it together in some sort of semblance of um, of a plot. But really, I don't think um, Godfrey Ho really cared about coming up with a plot. He would just... I mean, his storylines are so bizarre. And Ninja Champion is one of the weirdest movies that I've ever seen. Um, it, there, There's... Um, Like there's, it's a girl's kind of like a revenge type movie where she's been raped and now she's like smuggling diamonds and she, you know, there's ninja. It it is a crazy ass movie. Ninja champion. If you're into bad movies, I haven't looked, maybe it's on YouTube. Um, There's a, uh, another one I have called duel to the death that I remember, which is, um, that's another Crazy. I mean, at one point there's all these ninjas and they like join together like Voltron to make a big giant fighting ninja. I mean, there's just some crazy ass stuff in duel to the death. And there's so many of these movies out there. I mean, I wish that I could dedicate, you know, I mean, my wife won't watch them. My kids are too young really to appreciate bad, um, cinema and enjoying the good, like things that are so bad that they're good. I don't think that they get that yet. Um, But uh, yeah, there's just so many of those movies or whatever, and I I still have a bunch of uh, these Ninja VHS tapes in my garage that I need to finish um, converting over to DVD and and seeing what's out there, you know. Um, But yeah, so anyway, I think that pretty much wraps up the topic of ninjas, the little slice of my life that was dedicated to... um, the hopeful dream of becoming a ninja, and instead I um, ended up in the IT profession. Uh, So what can you do? Not everything pans out, right? Sometimes our dreams uh, do not work out. But, um, yeah. God, you know what? When this episode's over, I'm going right back to my hotel room, I'm firing up iMame, and I'm going to go play Shinobi right now. So... With that in mind, this is going to bring episode 133 to an end. Thank you guys for hanging with me while I'm on the road here. Like I said, I know these uh, uh, episodes are a little wacky, a little crazy, something a little different. Um, The uh, Zoom H2 mic on the last episode, by recording to Wave and with the new SD card, there was no noticeable um, artifacts, so I stayed with the same configuration. And we'll see, uh, hopefully this one does as well. Um, with, uh, next week's episode, I should be back home in Oklahoma. I have a couple of different ideas planned. One for, um, I still want to do an episode on, backmasking uh, back masking and audio. I've got some really cool stuff to share on that. um, I've got some other ideas, but I need your ideas too. So if you have show ideas, anything you want to hear about, um, old technology, old games, old computers, anything like that, send me an email to Rob O'Hara at Rob I'll see what I can do about fitting those in. Uh, you can call the voicemail box. I have one voicemail box message, um, that I haven't, uh, squeezed into an episode yet. Um, but I will do that with the next episode. Um... But that, that wraps up episode 133. So thank you. And I am going to, you know what? Screw this rain. I'm not going to go play video games. I'm going to go hunt those people down with their dogs and go break their windpipes right now. Uh, If I'm not around for episode 134, it's because I have been arrested by the Greensboro police uh, for pretending to be a ninja in the woods. But I see them. They're off in the woods. Here I go. Later. How can he be a ninja? He lived for 20 years in Japan. He trained Kogaryu style, ninjutsu. We've got to stop him. I'll call Lieutenant Dime. This is no job for the police. It's something I'll have to do. Only a ninja can stop a ninja.